Hello, uh, welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. Uh, sitting right next to me is the one and only Dan Newberg, the lead pastor of First Baptist Divine. And I am your servant and brother in Christ, Carlos Gardonio, and I am his associate pastor for families here at the church. It's a pleasure to come uh, to you in this manner and to just see how God may move through this particular uh, recording. And so, Pastor Dan, uh, why don't you walk us through the text of uh, your sermon yesterday, uh, which would have been the 8th of January, and where we left off uh, at the conclusion of that sermon? Uh, <clears throat> sure. Um, so yesterday, uh, we were in Revelation chapter 2, and we um, considered what God had for us um, in the text that spans verses one through seven, which in uh, most modern English translations will be segmented off with the heading of to the church in Ephesus. Um, chapter one of Revelation has to deal with John's encounter initially with the risen Lord Jesus as he's on Patmos um, in isolation, um, sentenced to Patmos for uh, his leadership within Christian churches within the uh, within the the Middle East, and so uh, Jesus encounters him um, and begins to instruct John to record all that Jesus says. And so, um, beginning in chapter two and through the end of the third chapter, Jesus is speaking to seven distinct churches um, within that region that John would have had some connectedness with or an ability to communicate um, uh, or get a message to. Right. And Jesus is offering an assessment of these churches, so to say. And so the first one that Jesus um, offers this assessment, as I'm putting it, uh, is the church in Ephesus. Um, and in summary, uh, what Jesus is doing is announcing to them um, an awareness of all that they do. Um, he, he is well aware that they are a church that does, uh, that does ministry, and they are a church that knows their Bible. Um, they have received a lot of different people who have said a lot of different things about the faith and have found them out to be um, false. And, and so they, they know this, yet all the while, as um, in the midst of what they do, they've lost sense of the why and where the way they do it. Um, they they have they have lost sight of what they loved first. And that's an interesting way for Jesus to present that, um, because the the reality of it is that when we come from our unconverted or our unredeemed state to being redeemed children of God, our first love, what we loved first, was not ourselves, was not money, was not cars was not homes with the Lord. Right. And so Jesus's call to this church is to return to your first love, to, to return to, to God and, and expressing um, our loving affection or their loving affection for him. And as a consequence, love others um, as they, as they return their love to him. Uh, one of the things that strikes me is uh, one in popular perception, there's this idea that Jesus is in heaven, 
is not involved in the life of the church. And something that is keenly uh, pointed out uh, through yesterday's sermon is that that could that is actually the furthest thing from the truth. Right. And so um, I made reference to something a few times yesterday where I called um, I called a philosophy um, the religion of this age. Um, and part of a, an expression of the religion of this age is the idea that God is too busy for us and that God is up there and has left us alone down here. Now, um, there's actually two, um, not to get too deep or too heavy, sure. Um, but there's two embedded um, philosophical outlooks there. One is that's that's fundamentally deism and is not theism. And so that's homework for the listener to to explore what the difference between those two things are. We don't have enough time to do religious philosophy right now. Man. Um, but that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> Um, but Christians are theists, not deists. Um, so again, some homework there. Um, but the idea that God is up there is a is a deist approach. Um, the other element uh, that is more predominant that has influenced modern Christianity that I was more specifically pointing the finger at by referring to it as the religion of this age is something that you can Google and um, read about that's called moralistic therapeutic deism right um and it's the idea that there is a god and that god wants you to be happy he wants you to have a sense of wholeness um he wants you to feel good um he wants you to to work through all of your things and not have to suffer anything um all to exacting the ends of whatever pleases you and as long as you go about it in a nice way that's okay Right. Um, and so where where you begin to detect these things, that may be a next question, is how do we even know if we're um, listening to a, a moralistic, therapeutic, deist type of message? Um, the uh, the idea would be or the, the differentiator would be the moralization of the scriptures. So in other words, you know, like we as kids, we listen to Aesop's fables or um, our parents, when they were correcting us, told us how things ought to be. And basically the moral of the story was fill in the blank. Right. Um, when we moralize the Bible, we have stripped the Bible of the gospel. Mm. Um, moralism calls us to be good people without the idea that the Bible also says no one is good, not even one. Um, it's it's it calls us to to be nice, yet it would not have us as a people who are empowered and indwelled by the Spirit of God, who bears the fruit of the Spirit, that tells us, "Hey, just be a good guy, Carlos. Just be nice. Say sweet nothings to everybody." And um, when you're going through life. Try hard. Wow, just just hearing those things kind of gives me nightmares. And, um, but that's but yeah. that's that is that idea, right? Is peddled around so much today. Sure. Um, and when when we've 
fallen to the religion of this age. I'm not going to be talking about moralistic therapeutic uh, deism. That's just a mouthful to say. Um, also a different podcast. Also a different podcast. <laughs> um, but when, when, when we're in that, that realm, there's no longer a, a need for a cross. There's no right. longer a need for a savior. Well, if we're good enough or if we're just doing our best, then there's no need for the perfect lamb of God to die for our sins. Right. If there's no need for him to die, then there's no hope for eternal life because he's the one that enables that through right. his perfect life and sacrifice and resurrection. So right. it creates a big problem. Right. Yeah. Okay. So at, so we, we deal with this false gospel because that's all it is. It's a false gospel that says 10 points on how to become the best self, five points to become the best mom, dad, son, whatever. Um, how then do, does that connect to the lack of love in the church? Because that, that's, that's the one thing Jesus says to the Ephesians, right? This one thing I hold against you, you've forgotten your first love. So, man, that connects in so many different ways. Take, um, it, take it whichever way you want to. I think so that's I, a good I'll, thing. I'll take, it, I'll take it two ways or try to offer two examples. One is the example that at least I thought of as I was interpreting the text. And that is he is speaking to this church and their ability to discern truth from lie. And so, so is to say these were Bible thumping people. Um, and that's where I was, you know, connecting yesterday. I'd given the illustration at the, at the uh, start of the sermon about this guy who sees two gay men at the, at the coffee bar and he doesn't approach them because he's just trying to be nice. Um, yet at about midway or two thirds through the, through the message, there's the, uh, encounter of the Ephesian Christian and the Roman person who says, you know, why are you suffering through this? And the Ephesian Christian's response is one that lacks love, but has biblical truth. Well, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to carry this cross. I'm going to suffer through this toil um, because it's my cross to bear. Uh, Christ has commanded it. And because of it, I'm going to enjoy eternity with the true Lord of all. And you're going to burn in hell. Um, that harshness that's delivering truth lacks love right um what that serves to do is harden hearts to the truth of the gospel correct um if that is the way the message is conveyed i also think about um the other side of that coin where there's so much love and no truth um i didn't you know the the reason why I feel a, a podcast like this is helpful or ne necessary is that no single message, at least within a, a commonly um, understood, acceptable time frame for a, a message runtime. Um, if I if I could preach yeah. for three, if I if people would afford me the opportunity to expound upon a text and ooze out everything across three hours or something, I could potentially cover all of the inroads. So this is your opportunity in the audience. If you would like that, that means we need to plan for meals and yeah. we need to plan but, for like extended childcare and the, nap time in between. The, the, I didn't I didn't even begin to deal with the opposite side of. Um, you know, there's one side of the coin where I where I'd said that truth without love. Mm -hmm. There was a famous quote: um, "Truth without love is brutality." The other side of that coin is that love without truth is hypocrisy. Right. Um, and that's the that's another example of 
uh, how a church can lack love as what uh, Jesus is telling this church in Ephesus um, is that if we're not speaking truth and we're just making um, overt loving claims, that lacks love. Right. Um, we, we think we're communicating in the emotional sense, but we're not serving anyone well. Right. And again, the concept of love in scripture, it certainly includes the emotional sense. It includes um, the, the varying ways that we understand love, but it also most predominantly is influenced by the notion of sacrificial service. Right. Um, and that's most exemplified in the cross of Jesus Christ. Correct. So that's the standard. Sure. Uh, and that's that's the one standard that actually remains constant, which is the best part about it. I think one of the things we struggle with um, in, in culture today, in Christianity today, is the hypocrisy component where we've, we've always heard this from people. Well, you Christians, the church is full of hypocrites. Um, and I wonder if that's not because we are driven, like you said, in, in this very uh, succinct saying that we are so much, so definitely some groups of Christianity, so much given to the love component without speaking the truth for the fear of offense. Um, at what point do we see offense for the sake of the truth? be tempered by love, what would be the ideal response that's full of truth and full of accountability and full of the truth of the gospel? I think you can't accomplish. Um, let me try to talk through this in a scenario. Sure. Yeah. So you're, I think what I'm hearing you say, if I'm thinking about this in a scenario is you're Carlos, I'm Dan. We may have just met for the first time. Correct. Okay. We're going to forget years of knowledge and, and coexistence of one another. Okay. Um, and I, in some way, communicate, um, whether verbally or behaviorally, um, that I am mired in some measure of sin, um, whatever that might be, right? Um, you know the truth of the gospel. You know that Jesus died for that sin. You right. know that I am very likely not living a life in obedience to the word of God as, as one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you feel that God has placed you in my path to begin to minister to me, to right. share the gospel with me. Okay. I would suggest, I would submit the idea of turn or burn type of calls in that moment may not produce the type of gospel response right. that we would um, be aspiring to out of love and concern for that person's eternity in that moment. I can see that. Um, where, in other words, to say, hey, I, I can see that you are um, clearly given to alcoholism. Um, you are a drunkard and you are screwing up your, your life. Um, identifying that and saying you're certainly hellbound probably is not going to register a, you know what, you're right. Not to say it's impossible. Right. 
Um, but this is where what's what's one of those the fruit of the spirit that starts with a P? Oh, patience. Patience. Patience may speak into these evangelistic moments. Right. Where we patiently are investing in the lives of others to develop a relationship to earn the trust to share the gospel with them. Right. So um, it's more more about how in our initial conversation can I become connected to Carlos in some way? Right. Begin to build a bridge right. between you and I so that um, as a product of that bridge building, there's a, a, a way in which the spirit of God opens a door for me to receive that kingdom message. Sure. Um, now, I don't want to be heard as saying, hold on. Um, I don't want to be heard as saying that. That direct confrontation is a is absolutely impossible. I don't want to be heard as that at all. I am what I am wanting to call attention to is that harshness can serve to be counterproductive in those moments. Right. You're you're speaking about how love marrying together through patience and long suffering can actually lead us to a place where we can actually, like we would say here in South Texas, earning our spurs, meaning the right to speak truth and life into the life of a perfect stranger. Yep. Which would also then um, borrow with the opposite effect, the bullhorn preacher at the corner of downtown San Antonio telling everyone you're going to hell. Man, I mean, that's where I want to be careful. It's not that God doesn't call people to do those things. Right. But that's what people begin to think in, in, in the contrast to that. Someone who's highly relational versus someone who is calling out people who they don't know from Adam. Right. So that, that's why I'm bringing that up. Yeah. Um, but if I, I, I'm answering this in a manner which I would be encouraging the, the majority of our congregation to consider. Sure. And that would be going about ministering to others in the name of Christ relationally. Right. Which, again, we've seen time and time again. And, and there's even the um, studies from, uh, what is it, New Orleans Baptist Seminary um, and other seminaries affiliated with us that they see that relational discipleship, relational soul winning, if you will, more often than not works better long term. Well, you think about you just think about this first century, mm -hmm. right? Um what do we what do we really think was the nature of evangelism, the sharing of faith? Right. The first hundred years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. People knew people. Sure. People lived and worked alongside people. Yeah. It was the manner in which they worked and conducted themselves that gave them the opportunity. Right. And it's similar to what we would be familiar, like, say, here in Divine Texas. It's you come, you build relationships, people need to get to know you. And then there's that trust where people then accept you into that strata of the, com the community. Like, OK, you're one of us. And you've earned trust to speak truth into that moment. All right. Sure. So I think that that's something that um, churches could recapture. I think we can recapture it here. And certainly churches that preach, that present the gospel faithfully can regain and um, 
make it a, a, a habit of teaching that as we teach others how to do mission work, how to do evangelism, how to do discipleship. Um, I know, for example, uh, when I went, I was going to Super Summer for summer camp. This is back in the early 2000s. One of the things that I remember hearing from one of my uh, acquaintances from that time is, I want to be the next Billy Graham. I want to preach to thousands of people um, in, a, in a single event in an arena. It was that type of drive where it was mesmerizing to someone who was surrendering to ministry. And I just remember thinking even at that time, but is that really all that there is when we study and consider ministry, when we consider making disciples? Because that's not necessarily making disciples. That's just, you can be a great orator. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to go there. Hitler was a great orator. Um, not necessarily one that you would want to make disciples. Um, in contrast, we see Jesus, who himself a great orator, but he ended up with 12 faithful followers, mm-hmm. 11 really, when, once it's all said and done. And we see how 11 men and then two more being grafted in, Matthias and then Paul, go and turn the world upside down with the gospel. And so um, coming back to, to the text in Revelation, what is the the proper way, or perhaps not proper, but what would be the most God-honoring way of practicing the love that we have in Christ Jesus as we have the headiness of biblical knowledge, as we have the discernment to sift between faithful teachers and false teachers? I think it's coming back to that first day, that first day as a Christian. Um, I remember being at Southwestern Baptist Seminary for a text-driven preaching conference. Um, I went there because my one of my favorite pastors was going to be preaching. Um, and uh, when he preached, I felt the presence of the Spirit, and it was amazing. Um, and... Um, beyond that impression, um, the the other thing that has been my lasting memory weren't the other dozen preachers there. It was whoever the music minister was there um, that led us in worship, um, a fantastic brother. And I remember him vividly as he was leading us in worship inviting all of the pastors present to consider what if we were to call our congregations to remember their day of salvation every day, what joy there would be, what love for the Lord there would be, what love for God's people there would be. And we see this, right? Um, You see this in the enthusiasm and the zeal of new believers. Right. They they know they know most specifically and most intimately the love that God has for them and the love that they have for God. Um, and like relationships go, not excusing it, but as relationships go, <laughs> they grow stale, right? We don't maybe nurture them the way that we ought. Um, and we become uh, maybe at times as two ships passing in the night. Um, mm. And so closing yet so far away. Right. 
and the 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 reality of it is is that the Lord has never moved. He's not budged one inch in relationship to us, but it's we who drifted. Mm. Um, and so, in terms of, I guess, the idea of returning, um, it's that constant reminder of uh, starting our day afresh and recalling the day in which the gospel was received by us, mm. where the Spirit impressed that truth upon our hearts, um, that we are, by Christ's redemption, a child of God. Um, I don't know of any better place to start than that. I can see that. I mean, and I know that this opens also the the conversation with others where they say, well, you don't have to remember when you were saved. You don't have to remember uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know the day. Right. I know the, I know the season. Right. Um, and, and we know, I know I that, guess, but you know what I'm getting on yeah. the, the return to that. It's like, I remember when I first started dating my now wife, that, that, sure. that the, the excitement, love, the, excitement the love, that yeah. love, that's what I'm calling back to. Like, right. You may not remember the month and day. I don't remember the month and day. Right. Um, I remember where I was. I remember the sermon. I remember the pastor. Um, I got saved off the back pew in a Baptist church. Um, right. The I remember those details. I can't tell you the Sunday. Um, some some folks can, and frankly, I'm 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 a little jealous of that because I'm like, <laughs> why didn't I have the wisdom to write this down? But I'm calling back to the sentiment of it. Um, the 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 awareness in that on that occasion, God saved me. Right. I've been saved from the wrath of God that I was due. Why? Because he loves me. Right. I did nothing to earn that, but right. he just loves me. And to call back to that pouring out of God's affection upon me and my God-given human response to return that love to him. That's what I'm talking about. I'm, yes. And so I, I, the reason why I'm, I ask that is, and, and bring that point up, is in the simple, uh, the simplicity of what we tend to forget as a church is that because of what we see on TV and what we understand because of the way that the church has become, um, we often think, and you even mentioned it Sunday, that this is a... Church has become programs. Church has become yeah. ministry committees, ministry teams, uh, where it's very organizationally heavy, which when we look at the book of Acts, it's anything but. Like, you have people coming together and say, this is a good idea. Okay, is the Lord blessing it? Okay, let's go. And they do it. And missionaries who don't go to the mission board, they don't go to to anyone other than to go to the elders of the church at the time, the apostles, and say, um, God is calling us. Would you pray alongside us and that God may confirm it? And lo and behold, God confirms it. And Peter goes off. I mean, not Peter. Paul goes off. And the first missionary journey happens. He comes back. And then they go back again. And, I mean, it's the simplicity of church in the, in the, in the book of Acts that is not present in, in what I would consider and call the general church with a capital C. Yeah, because we confused, and that, that was the point I was trying to, to convey, is that we confuse, um, well, there's two, two facets to it. The, the way that um, 
ministries and programs get structured, we can in times think that by their sheer existence, that's an expression of love. Right. Um, and um, at the same time, we can also, in the course of facilitating and administrating those things, get so caught up in the facilitation and administration, the busyness, that we don't know why we're even doing it. What's Which, loving in any of that? I, th I thought you were going to ask the famous question from a song, what's love got to do with it? Uh, but <laughs> I don't know that I'm calling for the idea of tear it all down. But what I am calling for um, in, in, in a very um, direct way is if you can't, if you can't, in the course of your Christian ministry, identify the purpose, the why, the why, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Right. Because we have a lot of churches and, and even pastors, ministry personnel that are good with the how. They're good with the what. They're good with the uh, everything else but why. Um, and one of the questions I've had from people is, uh, and this was back in seminary, why do we need purpose statements? Isn't our purpose the same as a church? And so I remember one of my professors very wisely said, well, every church, while having the same purpose, which is to go and make disciples, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, will have a very distinctive ministry where God places that church. So, for example, here we are broadcasting from a church that's entering year 141, where they started under some trees up that way um, and then they started moving into buildings but you even made a point of highlighting this to some folks as the people remained faithful in their love for Christ in obedience to the word God moved them to send missionaries overseas uh, and we have a record of that uh, to come together to build facilities that would facilitate the growth of the church as the and, love was expressed and to plant other churches in the area which yeah. was it's amazing to think that i mean even special especially coming from a time in just baptist history uh 30 years ago where we would see other baptist churches as competition and even now we don't say that and nor do we think that rather if every church in divine texas were to succeed and grow praise the lord if every church in medina county or to grow and succeed in reaching our population. Praise the Lord. Yeah, and and I'll add to that. Um, I don't know who all listens to this, if anyone listens to this for that matter, but um, the just th there's a truth about every church, and that is there is there are more people around every church than there are people going to that church. Right. Um, and that's true here for First Baptist Divine. And... Um, it's true to this magnitude. Within 15 minutes of this church at our physical address, there are 21,000 people. Right. Um, on any given Sunday, I'm not making a statement about this church. I'm just making a statement about churches in the divine area. Right. Any given Sunday, there may be a thousand people who are going to church. Now, it's not to say in church locally. It's not to say they're not making commutes to San Antonio or other areas. But I'm going to guess with relative confidence that the vast majority don't know the Lord. 
Um, don't don't seek to be in Christian community with brothers and sisters if they do. <laughs> don't seek to serve the Lord through the local church. Um, and the reason why we can celebrate God moving in other churches is the I mean aside from the fact that we as Baptists don't have an exclusive claim on heaven. Um, is, as much as some may joke about, yeah, yeah, um, it is also just very practically. We ain't got room for twenty one thousand people. <laughs> no, um, and and here's also the other really neat blessing in that. Combine all of the churches here don't have room for twenty one thousand people. Um, so what I mean to, to to exact those ends is we've got a lot of work to do, and there's blessing that yet awaits as we see God make provision to reach these people as a collective Christian community. Um, to raise new buildings, to plant new churches, to see the expansion expansion of the church, just as we see in the Book of Acts, we there, there, there's that blessing that awaits to right. see God move and lead. And all of this, by the way, brings me back to the whole issue of love, because that's that is the missing ingredient. If we are going to see, much like you were compelling us and challenging us yesterday, a church that grows, a church that honors God, a church that sees people being discipled and being disciple makers, it has to come from love. The growth of the church is going to be driven by the love that we share, not lovey-dovey, I love you, making googly eyes. Don't do that because that's just weird. Um, but rather the love that says, because I love you, I'm willing to sacrifice a Saturday to come serve you because I love you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to share the truth of God with you. And so that's, that's an important thing um, that you're, that's an important statement that you're making. You're pointing the object of love to others, right? Coming back to something that you brought up that I, that I said yesterday, that also means that we cannot prioritize a love for say a program above others if the things that we do are not loving right or do not serve others any longer we must prioritize the love of others above what we may love in terms of programs or niche things that we do or have committed to in the past right because what matters most is as we return our love to the one who loved us first we love others as a consequence. Right. Um, that also brought me to another question that was brought up. Um, at what point is tradition hindering of love and can love be enhanced by tradition? Yes. Okay. Can you please explain? Um, I mean, and we can have a conversation. It's just a question that I had based on yesterday. Yeah. Um, so let me try to, let me try to work through the second one first. Um, tradition can enhance love, um, or is that how you put it? Yes. Um, the, in this way, um, I think about tradition, um, and, and being in a church that has tradition as something that is worthy of honor and worthy of remembering and worthy of encouraging and educating others about. 
Um, and maybe I'm thinking more specifically of a similar concept to tradition. I'm thinking more specifically about heritage. Yes. Um, I'm thinking about right now the heritage that um, members of First Baptist Ch- uh, Divine are recipients of in all of the things that you just alluded to in terms of uh, where this church started 141 years ago and where we've now moved to our third locate meeting place um, in those 141 years. That's an actual building. Yes. Not counting trees or fields. Right. Yeah. Um, and where we've now, um, you know, been a church that's planted and sent missionaries. There's a heritage of faith that we're recipients of um, that I that I think communicates to the current generation. Um, and I mean, by generation, just the folks that are, you know, one day old through 100 years old here. That's what I mean by generation right now. Sure. As I use that word. Um, that communicates the love of God most perfectly expressed in the cross of Jesus Christ as one that perpetuates over time and that doesn't, it's that God's promises aren't sealed for one person or one generation. But the, this, this notion of love is something that we pass down as a heritage as in testimonies of faith. Um, where tradition can be a limiting factor is when we are so beholden to um, elements of tradition that we are inflexible in moving forward to re-express the gospel to a um, to a next generation. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is is think of it like this. Um, you know, I've been taking up a new reading plan of the Bible with my family. We're not reading chronologically anymore. Um, And um, one of our readings has uh, been taking us through the book of Acts. Mm. And um, we've been reading uh, in the last few days, Stephen's sermon and Peter's sermon that are given to us early in the book of Acts. Um, And it's made me thought, think about how they preached as Luke records them. Um, and also thinking about things that we have um, within the faith that are not in Scripture, like the sermons of some of the early preachers. Um, we don't preach that way, or we don't communicate the gospel as they communicated then. We naturally don't, um, because the 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 manner of discourse, or the basically the way people spoke then. Um, or the way things that pe- the way that people um, communicated um, with context is certainly different now through through the ages. So we we have the responsibility of recontextualizing the gospel right um, for the people today. When tradition becomes a um, prohibitor in expressing love, is when we say man, we can only do it this way. Um, Don't hear me wrong. There are non-negotiables to our faith, right? Right. Salvation comes by faith alone or grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, right? Um, To the glory of God alone. Yes. Not the preacher, not the pastoral team, not anyone else. But the exclusivity of Christ, the person and deity of Christ. These are all non-negotiable. I'm not talking about anything that is a theological claim right now of Christianity. Right. I am talking about 
how we communicate that. All right. Um, and tradition can be a, a way that prohibits us expressing or communicating to the new generation. Right. And in and, and that, and that regard, then love is truly, it, it, the love is focused on the wrong object. It's no longer the love for the soul that needs to hear the gospel. It's the love for the thing that mom and dad and grandma used to do that made us feel like this was home and this was the right place to be. And it's a challenge for everybody, right? Sure. It's easy for me to stay at 38 years old. Um, but we have traditions, yeah, whether we know it or not. Yeah. And we pass those to our kids and then they become to say, well, we've always done it this way. Have we always? Chances are no. We just really grew attached to this because of someone we love showed us that, and it, that became part of our emotional um, support for us. Especially if that someone was gone, or is gone now, to be in into, in the presence of God. And so I think that very much stays with us in church life. And so most of the time, I would venture to say it's for the negative, not for the positive. Right with the exception of those keen truths that so many have died for, like Trinitarian understanding of who God is, understanding of scripture as the rule of, uh, the rule of faith. Uh, by the way, that's the answer to last week's uh, homework for canonical rule and oh. the canon. So the rule of faith, um, but also just the way in which we come together. Yeah, to see that. Well, that it, it's, okay. don't worry about it. It's just one of those fancy terms we used. Okay. Because I gave homework this week too. Oh, well, yeah, you, you already did. Don't worry. We'll, we'll work it in for next time. <laughs> so as promised, we created a, an easier way rather than, as you put it, throwing the dragnet to ask people to send us questions uh, and to just kind of send comments. We've created a link and that'll show right on the, at the bottom of the description block below. Um, ask the pastors. And people will submit those questions and you will see them feature here uh, addressed in the course of dialogue. And so I'm going to look at my phone now, not to be dismissive of you, the audience, and my, my good friend here, the pastor. But this question comes from Ms. Richie. Ms. Richie is one of the members here at the church. And she says, hi, I was excited to learn about the church of Ephesus today up until the point that I realized that they were missing the ingredients quotation marks, of love. Before that knowledge bomb, by the way, I'm just quoting, uh, I would have described them to be a model church for Christians. Following, you alluded to the church of Corinth as an exemplar of love, but did not go as far as recognizing them as a model church. My question, finally, she says, is which church in the Bible would you consider a model church? So, the the Corinthian church, um, I'll, I'll just start there. Sure. Um, it, as you read First Corinthians, that's what I was referring to. Um, is they're they're far from a, an exemplary church. Um, it's it's Paul, the apostle Paul, uh, who is their church planter and first pastor, who winds up writing a couple of letters of correspondence to them in response to um, uh, outreach from them about some issues they were having. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with um, a, and a laundry list of things. Yeah, that church had um, problems. They, they were fighting over um, who they thought was the better preacher. Um, well, and, here at First Baptist Divine is Dan. <laughs> um, 
the they were fighting over that. Um, everyone was turning a blind eye to some prominent leader within the church and his uh, his stepmother se- and yeah his his sexual deviancy, his yeah. interaction with uh, with someone that even the pagans wouldn't um, look highly upon. Right. Um, they were they were also laboring. Oh, they were talking about what what should women be doing in the midst of worship. Um, they were fighting over whose spiritual gifts were greater. Um, and it's specifically the question of spiritual gifts, which when you are a born again believer among the many things that the spirit of the living God does within you um, one thing that the spirit does is he imparts to you at least one gift that um it you know is a, is a is a gift from god a gift from heaven to enable you to serve the kingdom to point and refer others to christ um the, those gifts are are, are spirit enabled they are spirit imparted and they were fighting over well, which one matters more which one has the greatest impact and Paul is basically saying every one of them plays a part in the body. None different than like I, for those who are watching on YouTube, I'm holding up my hand right now and I'm looking at my different fingers, my four fingers and my thumb, knowing that if I lost any one of them, I would be limited greatly in my ability to to live. Uh, even to consider if I lost my entire right hand that I'm holding up right that now. That would be difficult. Um, and he's, he's saying that we each, every one of us are members of the body of Christ. None different than we have fingers on our hand, our hand itself, or hairs within my nose. They all play a part within the living organ, uh, organism that is the body of Christ. And so the, the idea would then follow that, um, which he which he gets to in chapter 13 is uh, which i was referring to when we have not love is you guys are nothing when you're doing all this quarreling over who's got the better gifts love is what uh what matters and you guys are fighting over this you're nothing Mm. um so the the corinthian church is not an exemplar of the faith um when you're reading um revelation chapter 2 in chapter three, uh, you'll find a number of churches that Jesus is speaking to that he does not um, speak highly of. Um, the The worst rap is the church at Laodicea. Um, I want to speed you out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the The church at Philadelphia that you read in in chapter three, they get a whole lot of commendation, um, and there there is no no uh, mention of sin there that needs correction. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily a model faith, uh, a model church. Um, I don't know that there is one, to, yeah. be quite, to be quite honest. And what I mean by that is, I think we're we're all, no matter where we are, point in reference in time, um, spiritual maturity individually, whatever that might be, we're all going to be deficient in some way. Um, right. That's that's part of the nature of. Being a place where sinful people gather, right? Um, none of us will be perfect in any way, no. especially combined, right? Um, 
And uh, we're, go ahead. No, I was about to say the only the only perfect church I can think of in the Bible is Heavenside Baptist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's what happens after the new creation. Um, so, I what I what I would um, invite us to to think about is where where are the fruit of the spirit in our lives individually, and then also invite us to think about. Who is to, who is my discipler, and who am I discipling? Um, and I'm 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 offering this in relationship to the question um, because when we're pouring into one another, loving each other, walking alongside one another, I believe that we are expressing that common unity and love, Christian love, sa- sacrificial love. That Jesus is pointing us to, and a the words are going to fail in a healthier way um, than anything that that we may say is a um, a checklist type of approach to. Yep, you do this, you do this, you do this, you're good. Um, it's it, it's more of how are we walking with the Lord and alongside others. That's where I would be pointing us to. Um, Because we can, we can point at this church. We can point at Laodicea. We can point at Ephesus. We can point at Corinth. We can um, point to the Philippians. I mean, they're, we're all going to be found wanting in some way and in need of the blood of Christ. Sure. Um, So, I'll add to this just the cherry on top. Know your why. Mm 